Welcome to Gone But Not with me, Luke Aldridge. On this podcast, I'll be speaking to a different person each episode about death, loss, grief and mental health. Whether we like it or not, we will all experience loss at some point in our life. So why is it still such a taboo subject? One of the aims of this pod is to get people talking and normalise grief. Grief comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes, from losing a parent or friend, a family pet that you adored, to the breakdown of a relationship, to the loss of your health or career. I'll be chatting to friends old and new about their experiences. This could be people 20 plus years in, or those that are still in their first year. Either way, we're all in the club. I hope that you enjoy these conversations and they help you normalise death, grief and loss a bit. Maybe it'll even start the conversation with you. Hi, how are you doing? Hope all's well with you and yours and welcome to uh, pod number four, technically 4A, but we'll get to that in a minute. This is a chat with a very dear old friend of mine, Toby Kennedy. We met terrifyingly 25 years ago now at music college where we both did our degree um we got on from a very sort of early uh a very early time at at college played in various bands together the kind of college big band and and um and jazz tet and we did um a whole bunch of sort of other bits and pieces sort of together uh, under our own steam after college we stayed in touch through um doing lots of gigs as well as the fact that you know that we were we were good mates and toby was good enough to uh to talk to me about losing his mum um just before christmas and um the completely life-changing as if that wasn't enough um the completely life-changing um discovery that his dad has also got cancer and that came a couple of months after losing mum. So I'm very grateful for uh, for Toby's time. It's always lovely to talk to him, but this was kind of a, a good sort of two hour, a good two hour natter. I think some of his um, ways of processing bits and pieces, some of his kind of views on some things are um, are quite different from the people that I've spoken to already which is great it makes for you know for a good kind of uh varied uh varied kind of bunch of people to talk to so that was that was good that was really interesting kind of you know sort of chatting about bits and pieces stuff that we've not really kind of got into um naturally within our our friendship he is um based in norfolk and i'm in tring in hertfordshire so um we tend to kind of FaceTime or text or whatever uh, more than we do see each other, particularly you know obviously the the last year and a bit being um, making that even more complicated. Um, so yeah, I as I say we we chatted for a couple of hours. So what w- was going to be pod number four has turned into pod four A this week and then pod four B next week. Um, I'm doing my best to put out one a week and I've already recorded pod five. A and B with the lovely Sam Vale and yeah that'll be coming your way in a couple of weeks but um, I hope you enjoy my chat with with Toby also known to many as Peewee and known in my house as Unky P so yeah I hope you enjoy this uh, this next hour or so so I'll leave you with uh, with me and Toby Kennedy
I'll see you at the end. Now there he is. Morning, gorgeous. Hello there. <laughs> How are you? Oh, <laughs> man, I'm on such a go slow this morning. I'm Apologies, I'm a couple of minutes late. I just, it's all right. You're fine. I've been up for hours. Sake. What's wrong with you? I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. I got a sort of a vaguely normal amount of sleep last night. I just, I don't know. I, I just feel knackered and a bit. Mm. bit crap. How are you today? Uh, all right. It's a bit early to tell, frankly, but um, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm all right. I, um, I uh, actually slept pretty well for the first time in a while last night. So, God, what's what's going on? Yeah, what's, I don't know. I think just I, I, to be honest, I think it's probably. Um, a bit of an adrenaline dump, right? Um, just because of everything that's going on. You know, yesterday was a, a bit of a big day uh, with Dad uh, and his hospital point, hospital appointment. So, um, what what happened with that? Um, well, nothing in particular. It was just it was his second lot of um, injected chemo. He's taking, yeah. he's having that every two weeks, and he's taking tablets every day as well. Right. Um, but the, after the first, because well, I've no experience of chemo, uh, we mm-hmm. didn't get this far with mum. So um, after the first lot, it it totally wiped him out. Uh, right. He yeah. became, he just became an old man overnight. Um, so and lots of side effects that we didn't know about and all that kind of stuff. So you know, yeah. uh, he had a bit of a meeting with the doctor, who sort of reassured him that you know it's all fine, it's all normal. Um, and all that mm. kind of stuff uh but it was just it's always a bit you know because that he's basically he's knocking on death's door uh and it, it, any of these procedures could just tip him over the edge basically you know yeah. he had an angiogram um maybe a month ago three weeks ago uh, and that could have stopped his heart and any yeah. of these any of this me- these meds that he's taking uh, we counted up yesterday he's, the man's taking 17 different pills a day jesus 17 yeah yeah he was already on quite a lot every time he goes in he gets something new so he's got wow. ones to cope with the nausea and he's got ones to you know stop him or give him his appetite back or to stop yeah. help with the shortness of breath or just this that and the other he's you know he's taking a pill for to counteract the, the okay. effects of another pill yeah um, so yeah, yeah so you know it's always a bit of a tentative what's going to happen and of course i'm i'm not allowed to go in with him mm. uh and it's you know each chemo session as as i think you, i mean you got this far with your dad didn't you yeah he did a bit of radiotherapy um, okay we are recording by the way just um yeah, so, yeah you know, sort of um yeah. And as uh, as with Fiona, I haven't uh, managed to get a proper introduction in with you, but that's fine. We'll do that in a minute. Um, I quite like it when they just start, actually. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, they do a little dance. Yeah, he did. Um, he did some chemo. He did some radiotherapy. I think the the thing with chemo though is you kind of you only need sort of six months, two years, five years for it to be so different, and the the drugs oh, yeah. have changed so much and. Yeah, yeah, you know they're they're either kind of doing the same thing, but in a much better way with less side effects, or you're kind of onto the next kind of experimental thing that is doing the next level up, but is fucking horrendous <laughs> in terms of the way it leaves you. you know? So yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've, 
you know, I think the, the, the point, well, I'll come back to that. But the point I was about to make was that, you know, these sessions are kind of three hours long. Mm. And, the, and you know, that's it, it's fine for dad because he's sat, well, it's not fine for dad because he's being pumped full of chemicals, but um, he's sat in a chair having a little snooze and being given. Yeah, that. he's doing a thing. And I'm outside waiting. just, yeah. yeah, what do I do? Do I go home? Is there enough time? What could, If I go home, I'm not going to be able to concentrate on anything. Mm. I'm waiting for that phone call in. Um. Yeah, I think, uh, and also with Dad, as you say, things things change so quickly. He's on mm. this very aggressive form of chemo, which right. is it is the intravenous, and it's also the pills. <clears throat> excuse me, and um, you know, which is it, you stand a much higher chance of of knocking the cancer back, or at least keeping it at bay. You also stand a much higher chance of dying. Yeah. So it really is a kind of not a kill or cure because there's no cure, but it is, you know, it's one yeah. or the other. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I struggle. And again, perhaps something we want to touch on later, you know, I've been, to, I've spoken to a counselor or a therapist or whatever title is. I am, I've discovered that I struggle with the unknown. Because yeah. My head goes into overdrive. So, you know, well, you're in the nicest possible way, and I love you dearly. You're a massive control freak. Um, that's that's unfair. <laughs> Is it? Am I? No, that's I not unfair at all. That's that's exactly what you are. Um, I've never heard. That. I've never been described as that before. Perhaps because I never let anyone else speak. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think that in terms of in terms of projects and stuff, you know, you're very good at. Um, sort of having a thing and doing a thing and, you know, and sort of seeing it through and sort of managing it and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. And I think that both you and I are, you know, kind of used to doing things solo in that sort of, um, yeah. in that sort of way. And I think maybe you kind of get used to being, no, I don't mean kind of control for, you know what I mean. It's, it's Yeah, kind of no, but you do sort of, of, you get used to it, don't with, you? For, yeah, for you're, wanting you're to be better. Yeah, metaphor. you're in the driving seat, we do, and um, we do tend to float to the top. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a couple of floaters. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, it, <clears throat> I yeah. So my head's gone into overdrive. Every you know, for that three hours, I'm I'm in bits. But, uh, yeah. And and again, you know, at least with um, although the goalposts kept changing, and the uh, the doctors and the NHS did change you know, they were going to operate and then they weren't going to operate and then they were going to give her chemo and that was fine. And then there wasn't chemo, but eventually, you know, they said, look, you've got, you've got a year mm. to live. You, that's it. Yeah. You've got a year. And we were kind of, okay, well, I, my dad went to pieces, but I was sort of, okay, I've got a year. And then they reduced it to six months and okay, well, I've got six months, but there was an answer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then when she eventually, you know, it was like, well, we can't do anything. You need to start preparing because it's going to happen any day. Yeah, we literally went from six months to it's going to happen this week. Yeah, but it was an answer. It was a thing, and I know that my mum appreciated that. I mean, she she wasn't able to com- communicate towards the end, but it, my mum didn't want it to go on for a year. She didn't want it to go on for a week. She just mm. she said to me while well, she was still lucid, and I sat by her bed. We had a bed in the in the uh, the dining room in my parents' house, um, and she you know she said. <laughs> She said, I'm sorry, this is taking so long, <laughs> you know, which is completely indicative of my mum. But, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, we both just want an end point. We want a goal. Yeah. We want it to, be, to know that we're going to finish 
as you say, with reference to the, the projects that you and I have always done, I hate starting something that I, that I can't finish. Yeah. I hate it. If it's building a shed, unless I've got all the materials to build that shed, I don't want to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that, yeah, the, the thing with dad is it's all still very much up in the air. Um, mm. And that's making it quite difficult to process. And every week is, you know, coupled with my job where I'm being furloughed on almost a daily basis, you know, the pandemic, the job security, all that mm. good stuff. It just makes life very uncertain. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at uncertain. No. I don't <laughs> think many people are really. Um, no. I think you take a certain amount of it as a creative person self-employed kind of you know teaching musician that sort of you know that sort of life you take a certain amount of that on board don't you but there's you're never really happy with it yeah well that's right I think you're always able to keep busy with a there there's there is always an end goal Mm. and I think that end goal for guys like you and me that end goal is always something inherently creative so it, it, it you're able to keep yourself going you're able to get over the the uncertainty by having the certainty that well if i just keep creating yeah if i just keep doing this thing that i know i'm good at then that will keep me occupied and i perhaps perhaps that's a, a defense mechanism that is, you know it's it's um not dealing with what's in front of you is sort of the opposite of not of yeah no i think it is or totally. whether that's yeah. or, or, or or whether that's you know the process is the product for for, for you and I, mm. and the, and this thing with that. I mean, the ultimate goal is that he's going to die. Yeah. Whether that's this year, this this week, or whether that's ten years time, and that that's an odd thing to say, isn't it? Because that's true of everyone. We're all dying in mm. a sense, but but I don't know what to do. I don't know how. I don't. You know, yeah. there's no point in redecorating his bedroom the way he wants because. He yeah. might not enjoy it for it. I mean, my mum bought brand new carpets for their bedroom and she never saw them, mm. <laughs> you know, because she couldn't make it upstairs. So it's difficult to know how to occupy yourself to, to, to keep your own mental health kind of bubbling along. Yeah, I think with, um, I think when my dad was ill, he was, um, I think I've touched on this in the previous podcast but he because he had um brain surgery quite early on um and had a you know the biggest tumor removed and was never quite the same after that yeah and kind of um got sort of progressively worse um sort of mentally uh it's kind of almost it was a bit like sort of you know dementia or going senile or whatever I don't know. You're kind of occupied more, I think. So you are, uh, you know, sort of. You're you've got less time to ponder because you're kind of yeah. taking care of the old boy, or you're, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I'm assuming that he's essentially the same as as he has always been. He's just, you know. Yeah, he's my dad. Uh, yeah, of course, he's my dad, and he's he makes his dad jokes, and he he pots. I mean, he does nothing, but he's never done anything. Um, <laughs> and as I say, he was, you know, he'd sort of potter around. It, even this, you know, so for, for context for anyone who may ever listen to this, my mum died uh, a few days before Christmas, and then my dad got 
diagnosed with cancer in sort of February, March. Mm. Um, so, and then really he started his, we're into July now, but he started his treatment for cancer, his uh, chemotherapy, maybe two, three weeks ago. And we're now in July. So the end of yeah. mid but in that intervening time, he's sort of he's had to deal with a lot and he's been OK. You know, illness aside, he's been pottering around and he's been mowing the lawns and he's been, you know, getting himself meals and and getting himself out of bed. And he's just he's been my dad. He's just yeah. I mean, he, he did all that stuff when mum was alive. Um, and then first round of chemo. And the next day he was just he was just this old man. Yeah. Which is old, old man who can't, you know, it, he there are days where he he can't get out of bed until mid afternoon yeah. and he'll put his he'll put his dressing gown on he'll shuffle his way downstairs he'll get a cup of water or make a coffee and then he'll sit on the sofa and he'll sleep on the sofa for the rest of the, of the day mm. and then he goes back to bed so he's he's just an old man he can't do anything yeah i mean it sounds like he's on you know a pretty aggressive as you say, you know, he's on sort of big, big chemo, you know. It's, oh, yeah. It's going to totally fuck with you, isn't it? I mean, it's Yeah, just... of course, yeah. And as I say, you know, this is all very new to us, as mm. to, I suppose it is to anyone, because every case is individual. But we didn't get this far with mum. It was always yeah. like, stage four. There's nothing we can do. Um. So, yeah, it's just, I guess that's difficult to see. And, of course, you know, I, I don't work close. So... Mm. Uh, Although I am, you know, sporadically working because of the nature of the pandemic and everything, so I'm, uh, I'm sort of doing a day or maybe two days, but I'm not. I'm I'm miles away. You know, I mm. work. I'm, I live in Norfolk. I work in London, so it's not like I'm close to be able to just, yeah, pop in and see him, uh, and check he's all right, which I am doing when I'm here a lot. Yeah, because you essentially live next door to each other, don't you? For yeah, we do. Yeah, for those it, that it's, don't know terrorist i guess um but and also I, I think the other thing that i sort of struggle with but i kind of i don't know whether it makes me a bad person or not to to say that i've almost washed my hands with it but he's of that generation where they just the answer to are you all right is oh i'm all right yeah oh, I'm yeah. Fine. oh it'd be all right yeah he did, we didn't get the results he he had a biopsy and the results were due within i don't know a month say it wasn't but let's say it was a month and two months went past and i said have you checked oh no they'll get to me they're they're, they're busy i don't don't want to cause it i'll be all right and they're they're out of that it's that it's the it's the post-war generation isn't it of of just having to deal with all this hardship and not you don't complain we're british and we've stiff up a lip and all that and him just saying yeah i'm all right so i found Mm. out you know i mean this all came about because he eventually fessed up and said Tobes, I'm, every time I go to the toilet, I, I'm weeing blood. Do you think I need to see someone? Oh, God. And how long had that been going on? Two, uh, two years. What? It been, he said, oh, yeah, this happened before. This first I'd known about it. He said, oh, this happened before. Wow. And um, I, it just went away, so I thought it was all right. I take it he didn't tell your mum because she... I don't have, think so. She'd have hassled him to go to the doctor, wouldn't she? No. Really? He'll be all right. Okay. Yeah. They'll be all right. We'll be all right. Everything's all right. Who else is fine? Uh, you know, how old's dad? That's, uh, dad's about to turn 78. Right. So mum's 71. So they're kind of, I guess, sort of yeah. similar, you know, similar. Yeah. Sort of. 
do you want to give us um give us a bit of background on on you and again this is what we should have done right at the beginning um and where you grew up and how we met and what came after and I guess <clears throat> as you kind of natter through sort of your your life you can sort of touch on you know people that you might have lost on the on the way because I know um your granddad you inherited a lot of stuff from your granddad didn't you in terms of sort of woodwork tools and all that sort of stuff and yeah sure well I'm, I guess we met at, at music college yeah um, some years ago and dealt with all that and um have been <laughs> dealt with all that dealt with all that <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah i guess uh you know i suppose for your all your faults you were the only one who really liked me so uh, we can... <laughs> i mean like is a very strong word Let's... i'm running fast and loose with the word like aren't i um yeah but we've sort of kept in touch through gigs and and, and whatnot and uh, yeah. i'm very proud to be your youngest god's godfather indeed um, poor kids um yeah my i i haven't really lost anyone i mean you've got quite a small family haven't you in, in the same I've way got that, a very small family and and what family have. what family we do have we're not actually all that close right i think you know i have one auntie on my dad's side who is quite a lot older than my dad so they right. weren't very close so i've uh, i've not been close with them um particularly or i've reconnected with one of my cousins or well all of my cousins but one in particular um excuse me over the last couple of years mm. and she helped me out enormously with uh, things like moving to london and whatnot um but in terms of loss, yeah, my mum was an only child, so we lost my grandfather when I guess I was about 22, maybe. Right. Um, but I don't think, I guess I never really saw, that was my first experience of losing someone, I guess. Mm. And I didn't, because I'd moved away and I was that much older, I mean, I did go back for his wake. But the wake is very, like I didn't live... I'm still not really sure what he died of. I know he went into hospital and I thought it was cancer. Right. I think he did have cancer, but I think that wasn't what killed him. I think he died from something, some other complication mm. being in hospital. Um, but I didn't live through that. I wasn't there for that. I wasn't present for that. So I didn't, I guess I've never really seen how to grieve. Or, yeah. Or the way that my, my parents grieve. Uh, like my I mean, I know how they grew My dad's gone to bits, having lost my mum, and, and quite mm. rightly so. You know, the woman who did everything for 48 years is gone, and now what does he do? He doesn't know what to do. Uh, and he just goes to pieces every day, um, and still does. He said to me the other day that he spends, you know, he cries every day. Yeah. And I don't, I haven't done that. I mean, I've cried because my dad's upset, but I've not cried because I've lost my mum. And whether that's because I've never seen, I've never been taught how to grieve or whether mm. that's just because that's how I do it. My, I think my mum probably spent a day sobbing when her parents died, when her dad died and then much later when my grand died. And then she sort of got herself together. Right. Um, and just got on with life, really. Uh, I think... I think that was diversion. I think that was a diversion tactic on my mum's part. 
she didn't she would never like to to deal head on with something if if there was an argument at home she'd say her bit and then she'd stick her nose in a book right she didn't want okay. she didn't want to do the argument she didn't want to do the the aftermath she'd say her piece and then she'd divert mm. um and i think her way of grieving was very much like that and and to oh, an okay. extent i suppose that's how i do it um with again i talked about this with the with the well-being counselor sort of on on some context for that after mum died and I was feeling very overwhelmed because I've got all this new responsibility of taking care of my dad and for want of a better word the estate and all that kind of stuff yeah um I was feeling very overwhelmed and I'm not dealing with it very well I've recently sort of put myself back on and or got asked the doctor to put me back on antidepressants um and then you'd said that you'd been seeing a therapist and it was doing wonders yeah Uh, and Danny had mentioned my partner my girlfriend had mentioned um that the nhs have this well the well-being service yeah where you can apply you have to apply and mm. they give you and you sort of interviewed over the phone um and there's various different facets of therapy and counseling so some of it's bereavement counseling anyway i got on that and you get eight sessions for free um which has been wonderful it's, as you say it's been utterly mm. cathartic and and just to have someone that's entirely impartial but very very well placed to shift perspectives or see things from another point of view or you know to empathize and sympathize and all that good stuff but also say look you know and she was quite clear when we still because i've done cbt in the Mm. in the past cognitive behavioral therapy and i just thought it was all fluff i hated it and and she and as my counselor this time said cbt is really just papering over underlying problems so the counseling thing was much more about getting to the root of why you're feeling a certain way yeah um so yeah and she sort of said you know there's a spectrum of grief isn't there there's this some people just go completely to pot and that's my dad yeah and some people just have to, to just knuckle down and get just get on with stuff just this you know keep busy and whether you're whether that's avoidance or not is another matter but you just that's how you deal that's how you process you just get on with stuff yeah. and that's me uh, or, or to a very to i'm leaning towards that end you know mm. um and i guess i sort of think in my own head what good does grieving what purpose does it serve or or not not what purpose does it that's that's wrong grieve that form of grieving where you just go complete to part and you have a good cry and all that. I don't get it. I don't get when, you know, when, and forgive me, but it's typically females say, I'm going to put on this tearjerker movie. Yeah. And it's going to make me sob like a child. Why? Why do that? Because it's cathartic, I guess. It's, um, that is, I guess, like bleeding a radiator. Um, and you're kind of letting that your like something you've read from somewhere. No, no, not at all. It's um, it's kind of um, I guess keeping your kind of emotional systems in check and and sort of you know you know not letting it sort of boil over or whatever. Um, I think I might be dead inside. Yeah, <laughs> I think I might be the empty radiator that's causing yeah. the problem. <laughs> well, I'm going to pop round and and fill you up. So, um, whoa, away from that comment. Um, yeah, I think I, I'd certainly need bleeding. Let's put it. Yeah. That way. <laughs> no, I think um, that it's um, 
the the reason that people kind of go to pieces like that is it's it's kind of the emotion of loving somebody which hasn't got anywhere to you know has no place physical place to go anymore and it's like and i and i guess that's why your dad you know is having um such big outbursts i think is because it's um i'm not saying that that it's diff that it's better or worse than it being mum or wife or whatever but that's you know he's he's obviously yeah. uh lost without her and that's kind of how it's coming out i think yeah if you sure don't kind of break down and sob and cry it'll probably catch up with you um i don't i disagree with that okay. i think that because i suppose my initial my initial thought is that you know i've kept myself because I, I do think about this stuff I've kept myself busy as a way of avoiding grief and feeling that bad. Mm. But actually having gone through the, the, the counseling or the therapy with, with Amy, she sort of has given me the space to confront and to deal with that. And, and also taught me how to carve out space for myself, because I, I think my biggest problem is, or my, my biggest problem when I started the counseling was I'm doing, I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm dealing with all these things and I'm doing it all for other people. Mm. And that's, that's wonderful. That's great. And that's perhaps I, I, it's not how it should be. I I need to address that. But in certainly when I started, I felt that that's how it should be. You know, my dad clearly can't cope. Mm. So I have to be the rock. I have to be that one that does everything. And I'm at home for a a lot of the time because I'm being furloughed. So I have to do everything for, for Danny, for my girlfriend, because she's working and, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. And I was taking on all this. And then, you know, coupled with being a father myself uh, and doing everything for my six-year-olds, which, again, is as it should be, because, she, mm. you know, she doesn't know. Although that's intermittently, uh, admittedly, because you know, she lives with her mum. But I, f- I was just overwhelmed with all this stuff that I was doing for other people. And, yeah. and again, not having space, perhaps, to grieve in the traditional sense. Although... I don't think that it's going to catch up. I think I've just dealt with it. I think I've just, you know, I've, I've tried to be pragmatic and I've tried to be thoughtful. And I know that I certainly take after my mum in that sense, that one of her questions, the first questions was how long have I got when she got mm-hmm. diagnosed? How long have I got? And she just dealt with it. She just went, well, that's what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Nothing I do is going to change it. And so from, from a grieving point of view, I sort of think I've made my peace with it. I've been upset. I, I continue to be upset. I mean, there's a thousand times a day I want to tell my mum something, of course. Mm. Or, and it's that's difficult, that relationship, because a mum is very powerful, isn't she, in any situation? Yeah. If you've known your mother, you know. And so if my daughter gets upset and she says, I want mummy, it tears me up inside because I, I wish that she, she, she could find yeah, comfort in me. Yeah. But that, that, I'm not going to, I don't begrudge her that. Everyone mm. needs their mum. I don't care how old you are. And it, and so, it, yeah, I, it causes me no end of pain when I I, I don't, I need my mum. Yeah. And she's not there and I can't, I mean, I can talk to her, but she doesn't talk back sometimes better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that I just need to get on with things. Just go on because there's nothing I can do. So I may as well just get on with it. Whereas my dad going to pieces it doesn't seem to achieve anything he just he does it every day and it's it's less now about about making himself feel better or or releasing something it's just almost more of a habit 
it's one o'clock, right? I need to have a good cry. I think I, that, I mean, I, that sounds very callous. I don't mean it like that. But yeah, no, I, I know you, I know what you mean. From my frame of, frame of reference, I, d- yeah. I don't, it doesn't do anything for me. He is probably lumping in um, a huge amount of dealing with uh, the fact that he's got cancer and the fact he knows that, mm. you know, that although yeah, it's yeah, you know, kind of being treated, it's going to kill him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, along with, you know, then I don't know. Is is does he want to get better? Does he want to get kind of better for a long period of time? Does he want to live for much longer without his his other half? Um, well, we had a big when we first had not the first diagnosis, but when it was clear that how bad this all is, mm. we did go. Well, I took him out. We went to a cafe and, and we had a good cry and a heart to heart and bacon and sandwiches. And um, he's and I had to say, because he's got, as I say, he's gone to pieces. He's very since mum died. He's doing very little. I mean, he potters around, but he'll do something for an hour and then he'll watch telly. Mm. And I had to say, look, you know, because one of the options, as everyone is should be aware, is you don't have to fight cancer. No. You don't have to have chemo. You don't there's have no to have rule. treatment at all, do you? No. There's no law. There's no rule that says you have to treat cancer. It's just this idea that we have to stay alive. Mm. But for what? You know, if you've got like, I'm not saying dad's got nothing to live for, but you know, he's in a gr- he's in a massive amount of pain. Mm. And realistically, how many more years has he got? He's he's knocking on. He doesn't do much. He doesn't move around. So sooner or later, something's going to give. Um, and he did say that he wanted to fight it. And I think he does. I mean, he's going through it all. Yeah. It, you know, begrudgingly. He doesn't want to go to chemo. And no one wants to go to chemo. But he, you know, and he's terrified of needles. And he doesn't want any of this to be happening. Mm. But he's doing it. Yeah. Now, I don't know why. Whether it's for me, whether it's for his granddaughter, whether it's for... Yeah, whether so whether he's you know staying alive for his family mm. uh, or whether it's just so that he can finish friends he's suddenly gotten into <laughs> watching friends on tv and i think he wants uh, to know how it ends uh, so maybe he wants to stay alive for that i don't know i, I don't care <laughs> as long as he's here for whatever reason but yeah you know you have to there has to be a point you have to it's difficult to watch because mm. you as we've already attributed, the fact that I'm a massive control freak, thank you for that, You're is, welcome. you know, you can't help but want to fix something, can you? You can't course, help but yeah. want to, if you see something wrong, if you see something, someone doing something wrong, you have to try and fix it. Uh, that's it. excruciatingly arrogant, and I'm fully aware of that. Because you're, I'm essentially saying your world is wrong without me fixing it, and that's, yeah. I, I fully <laughs> recognise what an absolute prick I sound. No, but it comes but from I, a, a very noble and loving place. Well, I hope it? so. Uh, yeah, and an egotistical one. Let's be fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's difficult. I mean, you have to step back and say, "Look, it's your decision." But it's difficult to watch a man just sit on a sofa mm. all day, every day. But I think that we're of a very different mindset. I think that that some people 
do their nine to five and they do it for 40 years and they retire and that's their retirement or they get home and they sit on the sofa and fall asleep in front of the telly. Whereas yeah. you and I, and you know, creative brain people, we don't switch off and there is always a, you know, a, a kind of a drive and a momentum, isn't there to yeah. do the next thing or write the next tune or complete the next project. Um, and that's yeah. just the, you know, the, the dad is office, office brain and your yeah. creative brain, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, I, because dad was a, illustrator and sort of you know and did all the other bits and pieces and taught himself photography and you know and yeah. built a dark room and all that kind of stuff that's very much the sort of you know i've grown up with that yeah. as well as it being kind of the way that i sort of do yeah, things and sure. think about stuff so that must be difficult because you're you know of a different programming to your old man despite the fact that you could be popped out the same fucking mold you're obviously <laughs> inside quite you know quite different yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. And I think a lot of that, I mean, my dad does have his creativity. Um, he, he plays, well, he plays guitar. He plays the same tunes over and over again, but he plays guitar. And he did paint at one point and, and draw and all that. Yeah, my mum was very definitely the creative one. She was always planning a new quilt or planning something new for the garden. Or she mm. was, Yeah, she was always keeping that part of her brain buzzing over. Yeah. Um, so, yes, perhaps that is why mom and I deal with grief in that way um, mm. I think that my something I have should have perhaps made a list but something that I just thought of that I meant to bring up earlier was the um Adam Buxton's podcast yeah um, I've I'm a bit out of touch with it I've not listened to it for a while but I was certainly into it for a long time and he talks quite passionately about his dad mm. who died I think while he was recording or perhaps just before or he anyway he was writing that book and he was dealing with his dad um being on his last legs and all that kind of stuff and mm. uh, and i think he made the point about and this is certainly how i feel with my father you know all that grief is is it's almost quite selfish in a way because you're feeling sad because you're going to miss someone and it, and it's and I'm quite conscious to be aware of how my dad must be feeling. Yeah. It, not that we've been given D-Day yet, but you know he must be feeling. Maybe there's things he wants to achieve. Maybe there's a bucket list. I don't know. But I'm quite conscious to not get too wrapped up in. Oh my God, what am I going to do without my dad? But at the same As time, I think to, you know. I think you've got to. You've got to live that though at the same time. I think you can absolutely both. Oh god, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But as I say, that coupled with a, a perhaps more pragmatic approach to mm. end of life, I, I, it. I worry that it comes across as callous or unfeeling or selfish or any of those terrible words. But, but I, you know, it is the way that I process. Yeah, and I think that I would hope that anyone listening to this you know is, is kind of intelligent enough to know that that we're not all the same we all do different stuff and i god i mean how fucking generic a statement is that but yeah, you know well. it's yeah um but it is so personal isn't it the the kind of yeah. grieving process and and i think you really do have to kind of pull your head out of your own personal grieving ass and realize that yeah. the next person along is going to do it totally totally different and it's not that it's better or worse or whatever it's just you know that really is kind of how you you cope with stuff 
I think there's, yeah, I think you're right. And I think there's this innate uh, need to find a place of safety when the shit hits the fan. Mm. And that is, you know, because who do you know better than you know yourself? So, so you do tend to get very kind of egotistical, not egotistical, but quite selfish, yeah. quite insular and quite introvert, uh, you know, and because that's a place of safety, isn't it? It's not, it, I mean, we do try to confide in others, but no one knows mm. really, really what's going on underneath. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm quite, I, I'm aware that for my whole life, I've, I've come across as quite arrogant and quite confident and I'm aware that lately I've realized that that's an act, that's an act. That's a defense mechanism against anyone getting too close. And if I can act confident, then it gives me, people will leave me alone and I can take the space that I need to, to deal with stuff in my own head. Uh, One of the biggest problems that my girlfriend and I had in the beginning and sometimes still have, but I'm working on it, is my lack of communicate. I'm a dreadful communicator. Um, and I said this to my therapist, and she was like, what are you talking about? You're, I think you're a wonderful communicator. I think because, you know, because I'm able to kind of play that that role of uh, of being reasonably articulate and at least sounding like I'm intelligent, uh, and being able to formulate ideas and see... Thank God people can't see you. I mean... Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Some weird balding... Anyway. Um, but I think in my darker moments, where it is just me and my thoughts, ugh, that's quite a scary place. And yeah. communicating that to a loved one is a very difficult thing to do because again, if they see that you're in pain, they want to fix you. Don't they? Mm. They, they, I saw a thing on, Oh God, I've gotten into TikTok. I saw a thing on TikTok <laughs> this morning that, um, that they were, it was some bloke. I mean, he's awful, but he, he did have a good point, which was, you know, when you tell someone something, you don't necessarily want them to give you a, an answer. No, it's I just want the space sure. to be able to say this. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, you don't have to agree. I just want you to listen. I yeah, and I, I mean, you've you've already mentioned that you know it's sort of antidepressants and 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 you yeah, know, your your meds and stuff. I think that that's a big part of being the partner of someone who is a depressive is that there isn't much you can do most of the time. No. You know, in kind of low low bits. Yeah. Um, are, you still take, it, are, you, are you still taking the antidepressants because you run? Yeah. Um, yes, I I can't remember what it is. I'm on now. I I changed right. my um my GP suggested uh, a change. He didn't like um the stuff that I was on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I started at a very low dose and have kind of gone up one. Okay. Uh, but I'm I'm still fairly kind of baby levels. I think it's kind of of a scale of one to ten. I'm on two. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's helped a lot actually. I think. Um, okay. Yeah, I think they do work for some people. I I didn't get on with them. Mm. I mean, I took the first time years ago, whenever it was that I first got put on them uh, and was diagnosed with major depression. Uh, they did they did even me out, but and this is another massive cliche, isn't it? But they did turn me into a into a robot. It was just right. this hollow kind of <clears throat> yeah, unable to feel anything. I mean, I did still crash, but I I resurfaced much quicker. Mm. Yeah, but. That surface was way below. I mean, they're not oh, happy. No one's saying that you know, take these and you'll be 
elated at every gust yeah. of wind and every sunset. But, you know, the, they just turned me into this kind of hollow man. And this time, when I got put back on them in, in January, the the side effects were just, I just couldn't right. do it. And I, and I perhaps I should have gone back to the doctor and said, look, can we switch to something else? But I made the choice to just take myself off them. Right. And I think for me, at least, the pills don't really help. I think what has helped is being able to voice what's going on. Mm. Because there's, you don't have that. I don't care whether you've got the closest friends in the world or you can confide in your partner who's your soulmate and all that bollocks. I don't care. There is no one, unless you're seeing a therapist, in my mm. humble opinion, there is no one that you can truly vent to who will remain impartial yeah. and not so much advise as just suggest reasons or other ways of looking at things or because yeah, everyone whoever however close they are sorry however yeah, close yeah. they are they're invested in your emotional of course well-being. yeah whereas a therapist is kind of providing a service aren't they and of course they well they're want, want there you for the to money get better at- <laughs> sorry that's callous I don't know. uh no they want you to get better but they I, I mean i think that the thing that i've found has been really good about therapy is is that my therapist is is um it's about kind of steering the way that you think about stuff and it's not necessarily kind of you know that oh tell me about your childhood blah 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 it is kind of it's about have you you done that though Um, did you do that because i did that we have yeah tell Um, me about your mother oh yeah Uh, yeah, oh, yeah we, the, uh, the thing is, I've got you know, it's all very lovely. You know, my childhood was great, and my parents were yeah, great. Were you hugged was... as a child? I got that one as well. Were you oh, hugged really? enough as a child? Fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think so. See, my problem is not that I had a shit childhood or anything. It's <laughs> my problem is that my dad died when I was twenty six. I mean, that's you know, <laughs> should we talk about that? Let's talk um, about that. That'd yeah. Do you? That was think... my problem with CBT. Sorry, I'll, no, that no. was my problem with CBT. Was the um, session one? She said something like, one of the exercises was, uh, I because I hadn't, God bless her, I hope she's working still, but she was so confused. <laughs> she was so happy with her life. Hey, everything's great. Yeah. I'm fucking love everyone. And one of the things she said to me when I left the first session was, I want you to write down 10 things that you like about yourself. And yes, I was like, I sounds... fucking hate myself. That's why I'm here. You idiot. Uh, uh, no, mine Sorry, was... Uh, no, mine was a very similar thing. I because I, I tried CBT, I, I lasted one session as well. It yes. was very much so. Anxiety and depression were bunched in together. I've never suffered with anxiety or you know anything yeah. kind of close yeah. to it, as I'm sure that you haven't either. It's yeah. um, and it was all about that in the first session. There was very very little in terms of depression, and it was yes. it was run by there were kind of three people at the front. They were all early twenties. They were all kind of obviously had had kind of memorized the textbook. They'd all yes. obviously been doing it for a few weeks, and it was <laughs> and it was like, I you know you're all very lovely, but yeah. you've obviously never lost a parent. Y- yes, and absolutely. and you're talking to me as someone who has trained in something rather than somebody yeah. who has, you know, watched yeah. their dad die of cancer. Yeah, um, and this isn't for me. No, what I was yeah. going to ask is that um, do you think that because you understand your depression pretty well in the same way that I do, you know, you've sort of lived with it for a long time as well as the same yeah. as I have. And I think that we both kind of have a pretty good sort of understanding of relationship with our depression. Sure. 
Do you think that grief and grieving for mum is something that your depression is making you avoid so that it's kind of avoiding that? I don't know that the the grieving side of things would drag you down into sort of a you know a, a shitty bit. Is that maybe part of your? I don't think so. No, I've never I've not really considered it until you just brought it up. I don't think so. I think that they're very for me. I think that they're very separate. Right. I I think that for whatever reason, the way that I'm approaching grief or the way that I do approach grief is, is very much a sort of sphere in itself. It, it's just this thing. My depression stems from other stuff. My depression stems from not being accepted, not being a success, not being, you know, mm. for, you know, it comes from being a knobhead. Whereas... <laughs> Whereas my my grief is I've lost my mum, yeah, and I'm sad because I've lost my mum because I wanted to I wanted to, I want to be able to tell her this stuff or I want to cook her this meal or I want mm. to talk to her about her father or the you know there are there are pictures that I found that I don't know who's in them mm. and I want to be able to ask my mum because she's the only person that would know yeah so I think that my I don't think I'm avoiding I I don't think I'm avoiding grief in any way i think that i'm dealing with it the way that i deal with it and i think i'm trying to be true to myself but also in terms of what i've learned and 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 the parts of my character that i can attribute to each of my parents mm. you know i think i attribute the way that i'm dealing with grief to the way that my mum deals with grief dealt with grief which is just to kind of get on with stuff I mean, right. my mum was depressed. There's no doubt about it. She would never admit to it and she would never have sought help for it. But she, I mean, she had some cracking depression quotes, you know, just like, oh God, what are you doing? You can't <laughs> say stuff like that. What's wrong with you? But uh, that's very much gone into my depression. Don't be a knobhead. Yeah. Whereas grief is still, it's over there somewhere. I've done it. It's, right. I, you know. I, I only ask because, um, I mean, I feel like uh, depression was very much kind of part of, you know, sort of very underlying thing with me that was then triggered by losing my dad. So I think that my depression yeah. and, and grief are very much kind of, you know, intertwined. Yeah, sure. And then sort no, of the depression yeah. side fed by other stuff as I've as I've gone through. Sure. Um, so no, that's, I think that's I, why I ask. I think I've, I've always been depressed, looking back. I think that... Um, yeah, my depression is is very different mm. to, and and no, I don't think fed by grief. I think I remember being very young and realized I don't know how old, but very young, and I have this vivid, and I thought about it a lot recently. Obviously, I have this memory of the realization that my dog Becky was going to die. Yeah. And I think possibly it happened after we had two dogs when I was very young, was Becky and Susie and Susie died and I was there when she died and it was horrific. It was, you know, for a six year old to witness or whatever. Mm. Uh, it was, it was chaotic. And my dad went to pieces as my dad does. And my mum went to pieces as she did. Uh, and the dog was in, uh, was stressed and, uh, and it was just an awful experience. And I don't know how long after that, but I, I had this realization that Becky was going to die. Mm. And I got very, very sad about that. Uh, and 
I, I probably had a cry, I don't know, but I went to find mum and gave her a cuddle or whatever. And I think that realisation has stuck with me in the sense that everyone's going to die. And so I've almost dealt with that grief already. I think I felt, right, okay. I definitely felt that way about my mum. I think I'm working up to that point with my dad. It's, it's odd, isn't it? I always thought my dad would go first. And so I've been preparing myself for my dad to drop dead for a long time. Yeah. But now that it could possibly happen, I'm, I'm not fully prepared for it. Um, but when my mum was to certainly towards the end, I'd already dealt with it. I'd already said, well, okay, it is what it is. That's the end. And the, I, I, you know, the last stages of cancer for anyone who hasn't been through it are, are hideous. I mean, mm. she just wasn't my mum. Again, she was doing okay. She was doing okay. And then, and then the day after, she just wasn't my mum anymore. She was yeah. just this hollow shell of a woman. She didn't look like my mum. She certainly didn't act like my mum. She didn't do anything. And then it was just a waiting game. And, and, and I think my, my thought process at the time was, I'm just, we're just waiting. Yeah. We're just waiting. Whereas my dad... I think made his peace with this is how it is right now, but at least she's still here. Yeah. You know, at least my, my dad, who's very much one to bury his head in sand and ignore la 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 la. Nothing's it's not, mm. if I ignore it, it won't happen. And so, you know, the, his reality became, okay, well, I can still talk to her and she's still physically right. here. Yeah. And so no matter the fact that I have to feed her pineapple and she, and get, you know, feed her water and what, you know, wipe her down and all that kind of stuff. That's the new reality, but at least she's here. Yeah. Whereas I think I just dealt with the fact that, okay, this is it. Yeah. I think in, in many ways, I think myself and mum and, and sisters were kind of all grateful that the dad sort of, cause he got pneumonia twice. And shouldn't right. have survived um, right. the first bout, and and kind of ended up back in hospital. So yeah. I think doing a chemo session or something like that, and then kind of obviously caught something while he was back in hospital doing chemo. Ended up back in hospital with the second bout of pneumonia. I mean, we'd had bits and pieces delivered to the house, like a um, like a commode and stuff like that. But he signed off still you know before he went into hospital he was still having a bath on his own and he was still doing all that kind of stuff going to the loo on his own he was very shuffly and couldn't go very far oh, yeah was, yeah was quite bonkers and wasn't sort of really dad but he was still you know if he wanted to make a cup of coffee he could do but he yeah, was doing stuff like unwrapping but you know christmas presents because they were under the tree because right. that'd be fun which is the total opposite of anyway, but yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that must be terrible kind of sort of a, a shell essentially of, of, you know, of yeah. the person that's that, that you can know. Yeah. It, it is terrible. It was terrible. It is terrible. Uh, yeah. Just, I mean, she knew who I was mm. and she knew who dad was. She forgot Danny. Right. I've not, I don't think I've told her this. She didn't, you know, I mean, she knew that she was my partner, my girlfriend, but she couldn't remember her name. And she knew right. who my daughter was, her granddaughter, of course. Um, and they, they sort of spoke on FaceTime, yeah. uh, which was great. Um, but she was like her brain was a fa I don't I don't know how it works, where it spread to with mum's cancer. 
Mm. Her brain just didn't go, you know, she was forgetting the words to stuff. Uh, Pineapple became lizard. She used to call it lizard. Can I have some lizard? Well, Um, so there's a couple. Yeah. I mean, there's some of those which I, as a way of processing, I guess, will turn into funny stories to tell the grandkids. Yeah. um, Yeah. But in the moment is just hideous. Yeah. It's terrifying, isn't it? Just that, that there's that transformation. And, and yeah. And it is, it's very difficult to watch. And and then, you know, we had carers coming in who I think probably the day before possibly, you know, it must've been the day before cause she died early in the morning. Uh, the day before came into, they gave her a sponge bath and they did her hair. They did her yeah, hair like completely different to how my mom does it. So she just, you know, she was already a, basically a skeleton. My, my mom, God bless her, was quite a portly lady. You know, she she was forever on some crazy diet or some crazy. She, what was the one she used to love? Some meditation, some app meditation. She plug herself into to fall asleep to. Right. Um, it was supposed to talk you into being thin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get a best if you unplugged a headphone. It was just stop eating, you fat no, bastard. That's right. Yeah, put the fork down, woman. <laughs> She, I'm uh, going to start. I'm starting Monday. Actually, I'm, I've heard it's yeah. great. <laughs> it's called the push away diet, where you push yourself away from uh, the table. She, yeah, she, I remember her getting an app and then being utterly. She was absolutely. I, I can't believe it. So you'll never get. Do you know this app? They want me to eat less and and exercise. <laughs> I can't believe it. You know that was my mum all over. Anyway, so she was uh, this kind of skeletal figure with her hair done. You know, she had the public right. school comb over. Well, that wasn't my mum. What That's have you done? That's very weird, yeah. It was horrible. And so, you know, she already doesn't look like mum. She really doesn't look like mum now. Mm. And all of that's distressing. And also, all the, you know, because palliative care, God bless them, they're wonderful, but they want, they talk down to everyone. Mm. And they want to, they want to faff, don't they? They want to mess about with you. Oh, let's change your underwear. Let's change your socks and give you a little brush. My mum hated that. She said when she could still speak, she was saying she would say, I don't want this. Mm. I don't want this. And you but you can't stop them. And dad and I couldn't cope. You know, we tried to get her to and from the bathroom. We just couldn't. Yeah. Two of us. For uh, for a skeletal woman, she me, she weighed a ton. <laughs> um bless her. But uh yeah, I it's it is difficult because she just she did just waste away. Mm. you know she couldn't eat anything and my dad started doing this now as well you know he, the only things that he can stomach eating are the same things that my mum could only stomach eating right well okay so that's alarm bells straight away you know it's it's lots of pineapple and rich tea biscuits mm. sounds great but love it's just the stuff of nightmares now. yeah are you managing to get sort of you know the odd chicken breast pork chop etc etc down him mm, yes and no my my dad here i mean he's sworn off he's swore off vegetables a long time ago um the only vegetable he would eat are peas and brussels sprouts not peas and brussels sprouts potatoes and brussels sprouts but now he, he can't stomach either of those he won't eat pasta he can't eat bread uh he's gone off cheese i i mean that he he is eating mm. uh he still makes himself a good breakfast and big bowls of cereal and, and bananas and you know he's eating a lot of eggs which is something that he can mm. he can stomach and we've got the we've got chickens so there's a, a regular supply of eggs um 
That's good in the protein sort of, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, he's he doesn't seem to, he's not gaunt. He's not, he doesn't seem to be losing weight. I do worry that he's not, none of it's healthy. Yeah. And he needs, and he's got no energy. I mean, he finds it difficult to breathe. He's got no energy. So he needs calories in him. Yeah. And, and that's difficult. Getting enough calories in him is, is tricky. But he's eating enough to stay alive. Yeah. Are you um are you managing to stay on top of kind of you know keeping yourself uh you know fed and cared for because it's it, sometimes if you're you know the one doing all the yeah. worrying and all the all the caring it's um you know quite easy to be bottom of the list isn't it? It is. I th- yeah. No, I'm fine. <laughs> where, where have I heard that before? Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm all right. Uh. I I think it does help living next door. Because I can pop in for ten yeah. minutes or whatever. Yeah, I'm you know I'm busy cooking for me and and Danny. Yeah, having and, Danny is is good because that means you have to cook a meal, don't you? Yeah, yeah. She would be very upset if I didn't cook her meals. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we're I'm all right in terms of in terms of well, I'm all right, whatever. <laughs> So there we are. That's pod 4A, uh, the first part of my chat with the lovely Toby Kennedy. As always, do have a look at our website, my website, uh, thepuppetbearchronicles.com. You can find out more about the lovely people on the pods, as well as my other bits and pieces, um, radio show, writing, all that sort of stuff. I won't bore you. Um, It's all up there if you uh, if you'd like to have a look you can also find our social media stuff both Facebook and Instagram the Papa Bear Chronicles do have a uh, a little shuffle around those like, share, all that sort of stuff if you're enjoying the pods uh, and being that you're four episodes in now I'm assuming that you're not hating us because you're, you've come back which is great thank you for returning and, uh, and listening because there's an awful lot of other stuff you can be doing with your time it's nice to uh, to have people checking this stuff out and if you've um, already liked subscribed commented shared all that sort of stuff thank you very much um some very lovely feedback and comments so always grateful for that if you haven't done already and you've got a minute it would be incredibly useful if you don't know about this stuff it's um the kind of all the uh, sort of podcast based algorithms very very boring but essentially if people are liking and rating and subscribing um that makes us more visible to more people um so more people will check us out so if you've got a second please do all of that sort of stuff that'd be really useful we are looking for a uh, for sponsorship for the podcast if you um if you know of anyone or if you yourself run a business and would like to advertise then um do drop us a line through the website thepuppetbearchronicles.com is that enough shameless self-promotion uh, for for one for one pod? I, pr- I think it probably is, isn't it? Toby and I were talking in our respective uh, well, his his living room, my man cave, um, and it was recorded over a Zoom call. Uh, so any little kind of audio audio tweaks, apologies about that. So yeah, next week will be the other half of our conversation, pod four B, with uh, again with Toby. And as I say, the the following couple of weeks after that, um, I'll be talking to Sam Vale, um, fantastic dancer, choreographer, um, kind of general well-being person, as well as mum and cancer survivor, um, talking about both 
her dealings with cancer and um, and losing her mum to uh, to breast cancer. Um, so yes, that's uh, that's a really lovely chat. We um, as always, you know, there is serious, uh, deep, dark, navel gazing, um, staring into the abyss. But you know, we do sort of. Uh, you know crack the odd poo joke and and chuckle a lot as well so so i hope that we're kind of getting the balance right of of um of serious and and silly and that these conversations aren't too hefty or boring uh again you know it's always useful to to hear stuff back do drop us a line if if you've got any thoughts or comments lovely okay so we'll uh we'll speak next week with um pod 4b until then, take care of yourself and um, keep smiling. Ta-da. This podcast has been recorded, edited and produced by me, Luke Aldridge, here at the Man Cave. Thanks, as always, to Joe Auckland for the music. And this has been a Papa Bear Chronicles production. <laughs>